All right, we're in Acts. And happy to be there. Acts chapter 7. This is uh, Stephen's defense of the gospel. This takes place in Jerusalem. Peter has uh, been a primary character, a primary apostle up to this point, and he will continue to be that. But in the book of Acts, we have Stephen's defense, we have his martyrdom, and then we have Saul who becomes Paul. And then Paul becomes more front and center with regard to what God is doing. So as we begin, let's just, uh, let's look at a couple verses. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 21. The Bible says, When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So Peter and John had been called on the carpet, so to speak, for this, the healing of this man. The repercussions are given there in verse 21, when they had threatened them further. So they're just saying, you know, stop that, don't do that anymore. Stop preaching, stop representing Jesus, this Jesus that way. Stop it. Well, if you'll go to chapter 5 and verse 40, we have another situation and there's an, well, there's an imprisonment, there's a release, and then listen to verse 40. Look at it right there in the word. They took his advice. Whose advice? Well, Gamaliel's advice, who said, let them be. If this is of God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. If it's not of God, it's going to fizzle. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, what'd they do? They flogged them. All right, so they ratchet up the, the persecution. It goes from a threat, and now we have a flogging. So although they did take... Gamaliel's advice, they called the apostles in and they were flogged. They were hit over and over. That's important to know. So first a threat and now a flogging. And then we come over here to chapter 7 and Stephen's defense of the gospel. And the next thing we're going to see is a martyrdom. So from a threat to a flogging to a martyrdom, things are building in that way. So we have read uh, Stephen's defense, and he just basically gives us a history lesson. God Almighty is involved in history. I don't think that he's not. He is very involved in the affairs of man. And Stephen traces God's involvement with the people of Israel. Now, keep in mind, he's speaking in Jerusalem. 
and he winds up his defense with a, well, with an assessment of his, uh, of his audience or his hearers there in 51, 52, and 53. He says, you men who are stiff-necked, this is chapter 7 of the book of Acts and the three verses that I just named, 51 through 53. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And at this point, um, the people rush Stephen. We have the account of his martyrdom here in 54 uh, through 60, the very end here of chapter 7. Now, when they heard this, so this is their response to what Stephen has preached, what he has shared with them. One thing um, that you, you'll catch as you read the New Testament is that to be a servant of Christ, you can't be, a, you can't be fearful of man. Paul says that. You, you, that. Those things are mutually exclusive. To serve Christ means you serve Christ. Your, your reverence, your, your holy awe is toward God, not toward man. You don't live off of man's uh, opinion of, of you. So Stephen is, has just told it just like it is. He is not, uh, let's say it in modern uh, uh, lingo, he's not preaching to their felt needs. But he does strike a chord. They were cut to the quick right there, 54, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Now, these are, I mean... I mean, they're sophisticated people. They're just not receptive to the message. Sophisticated meaning they were religious. They really took exception to the fact that Stephen was, was saying, listen, the law, <laughs> the law is fulfilled in Jesus. The temple has been fulfilled in Jesus. So they were, they were accusing Stephen of preaching against the law, preaching against the temple. Well, it's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus kept the law. Well, we'll go on here. They began gnashing their teeth, being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen. He, uh, Stephen is the one full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what's interesting here is normally the Jews would associate any kind of presence of God with the temple. If God's going to show up, it's going to be in the temple. I mean, you can read about it in the Old Testament. You know, they built it. Okay, they have this big convocation and a meeting and the Shekinah glory of God shows up in the temple. Well, that's what they were, they were kind of used to. They were, they'd associate the presence of God, the glory of God with the temple. Well, here, God's presence shows up right over Stephen. And that is significant. 
God's presence goes where his people go. And that's why when persecution is launched against the church, wherever they go, they are preaching the word and they are witnessing to Christ. And guess who's there? God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You just, God is not confined to a building. That's the whole point. I think we said it last time. The only reason the temple was built was because of a couple kings that wanted to do something for God. He didn't command the temple. He did command the tabernacle. And that's important to note. We don't think about that very often, but that's the truth. It was Solomon and David, David and Solomon. So, what happens? He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And we know that when Jesus ascended, he sat down. So, Jesus is watching and he stood up and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up. Stephen's talking. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul's there, and no doubt Saul had heard Stephen's message. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. It is significant that Stephen, Stephen didn't die cursing his enemies. He died as his Savior died. Do not hold this sin against them. And then I love the, the Christian expression of death that he fell asleep. Luke writes that, includes that, knowing that one day every Christian who has fallen asleep in Jesus will not only awake, but he will arise. And that's, uh, that's a wonderful thought. There it is again. There's the man, Saul. He was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Hmm. He's the one that they laid their robes at the feet, at his feet the feet of Saul. He's a young man, it says. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. So you have the persecution and the scattering and then the spread of the gospel. Those three things are going to take place. And they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, this is, some think that this is a persecution that's launched against the Hellenistic Jews, those that were Greek-speaking, and that the native Jews, the native Hebrews, would have uh, hunkered down in Jerusalem and would have had more allegiance to Jerusalem. But it's hard to see a persecution just kind of being that particular. Um so I don't know if it was that particular, but it was a persecution. The apostles are going, not going to leave their post. They're going to stay in Jerusalem. And this is, notice the, this little short 
pericope here, uh, one, two, and three. It really is interesting the way Luke lays it out. Saul is in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That is Stephen. And then on that day, a great, a mega persecution, not just your everyday ordinary persecution, began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, you can go back to Acts 1, verse 8, and Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, and he names these places. Well, here we go, right here. They're, going to, they're scattered. They're going to these places. They are going to be his witnesses. And there is, right in the middle of this is verse 2. And you know why verse 2 is right in the middle of all this? Because Stephen was in the middle of it. And Luke puts him, he brings him up again. Right there, some devout men buried Stephen. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, they probably buried him pretty quickly. They're not going to leave Stephen alone. They're going to bury him. But the next part is extraordinary. The Bible says they made loud lamentation over him. In fact, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament for a loud lament over Stephen. That was unacceptable. According to Jewish writings, if someone was stoned, yes, you bury him. But you do not make loud lamentation over them. That was completely unacceptable. It didn't fit in the culture. It didn't fit in the picture. But out of respect for Stephen, whoever these devout men are that are burying Stephen, that they would associate with someone who has just been martyred to bury him. And then not only to bury him, but to make this loud lamentation over him was extraordinary. But there they are. They are lamenting Stephen's death. There we have Saul again in verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church. The word there, ravaging, is used, the picture is like of a wild animal. I mean, this just set Saul off. And he is ravaging the church. Well, what did that look like? And Luke tells us, entering house after house, I mean, he's going door to door and he is looking for anyone connected with the Jerusalem church. And the Bible says, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. What in the world is driving Saul? That's the question. We always, you know, we just kind of read, well... Why would he be the leader of this charge? What is, he's from, he's from Tarsus. What is, what's going on in his mind? Why wouldn't he be satisfied with the, the stoning of Stephen, Stephen's death? Why would he just go off uh, trying to make life miserable for Christians? And We've got some, a little bit of daylight on that from Philippians 3 and then a little bit in Galatians. We have a little of, of Paul looking back to when he was Saul, talking about what was, what was taking place in his heart. But here's the deal. Yes, he was religious. He was a Pharisee. And he was a believer that Messiah would come. 
And all that to say, he was a protector of the Jewish way of life, that way of life of a Pharisee. And the Christians just posed a real threat to that way of life. And remember, there's one word that goes along with Saul. And the word is zeal. He was zealous. He wasn't, at this point, he's not zealous for Christ. He's zealous for his what? He says it, ancestral uh, traditions. And so this man is steeped in what? Torah. For him, it's Torah and temple, but more Torah because he lived in Tarsus. He's away from the temple, but he knows his Bible. He knows the story of Phineas. Who's Phineas? Well, look in, read Numbers 25. He stopped a plague by driving a spear into an Israel, a Hebrew and a, I think it was a Moabite or a Midianite woman. And then he, Phineas is, uh, he is remembered in Psalm 106 as, and it, it's uh, interesting the way the psalmist puts it, but then he says, and it was reckoned unto Phineas for righteousness. Read it, Psalm 106. It's a little bit of a lengthy psalm, but it's there. So those stories and the story of Elijah going up on Mount Carmel and calling fire down from heaven, those kinds of stories filled Saul's life. And these, listen, he was a Pharisee. He had memorized large portions of the Torah. He was, and Saul is all in. And then we know the story. But sometimes that, that can benefit us, but it can also become so familiar that we forget where he was and where God is going to take him. We have two sayings that come out of his story. We use them quite often. So-and-so had a Damascus Road experience. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean they just changed. They, something happened in their life and they... It may, we may be, it may have a religious connotation. It may not. And then the other one is, you know, here they were and the scales fell from their eyes and now they could see. No one ever used that terminology for me when I was taking algebra. The scales fell from Billy's eyes. And no, I never, I was, I was blinded by so much light in that class. But anyway, um, so so we've, we're gonna, we'll stop there, but keep in mind, Saul is, I mean, he's not about himself. He's about his ancestral traditions, and he is going to do whatever it takes to squash this movement. And he feels like he has a personal, uh, has a personal charge from his upbringing to do just this uh, sort of thing. Now, when we, when we come back... We will uh, we'll be with Philip in Samaria, and Philip is going about preaching the gospel. And then we get in uh, to Saul's conversion in uh, chapter 9. And then there's, I think there's two other accounts of his conversion in the book of Acts. And we'll get there eventually. So we'll pray and be dismissed. Father in heaven. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness, your exceeding kindness to us. 
Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. The first need is the spiritual need, Lord, to continue in faith. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, your word, O oh God. So take this word and just fuel us, edify us, strengthen us. And, and then, Lord, continue to encourage us along. And uh, I ask for a blessing on each one. Lord, you, you've blessed in a multitude of ways of late and, and even going all the way back. We just thank you for those blessings, the blessing of life. Lord, we pray for Josh and Taylor. We pray for this baby to be born and to be born healthy. And God, that you would just oversee that whole event. And we, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And then, Lord, just continue to work in our lives. Uh, let us be ever mindful of your presence. Let us be ever mindful of your grace and your mercy that you just lavishly bestow upon us. And we pray in Christ's name, God's people said, amen.